Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Sign up today and find out why nothing beats a win at the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app or or go to betmgm.com and enter code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. Previously on X Men. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's right. Previously on X Men. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Fat Minute, doing part two of X Men rankings. Uh, so if you didn't tune into last week's episode, we for part one we ranked the OG trilogy: X Men, X Two, and X Men: The Last Stand. Um, and so far, for the most part, uh, we're all like pretty much on the same page. We we all put X2 at an A, X-Men at a B. The only the only difference is whereas Mike and I put the last stand at a D, Blake gave it a C. That's the uh, only moment of someone going rogue so far. Um, so if you uh, enjoyed that episode, welcome back. Because now, tonight, part two, we are ranking the uh, first class quadrilogy. That is, of course, X-Men First Class, Days of Future Past, um, Apocalypse, and Dank, I mean Dark Phoenix. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh, let's jump into it. I'll start us off. We'll start this episode off with, uh, of course, X-Men First Class. And I think the first thing that's important to note about this movie is just how much was riding on this movie. Um, because this came out in 2011. This was like two years after X-Men origins, Wolverine five years after X-Men, the last stand two movies that were not well received at all. <coughs> so it really like didn't look good for this franchise at the time. And it was just kind of meandering around, didn't know where it was going. And, so there was a lot riding on this movie. Like, I feel like if this movie didn't do as well as it did, this franchise probably would not have continued, at least in the way that we know it. Um, and just out of the gate, I got to say, like, this was only the... I, I watched this movie last week, or like a few days ago, to prepare for this episode. It was only the second time I ever saw it. And the first time I saw it, I saw it with you guys. We were at a friend's house, and I wasn't really able to give it, like, my full undivided attention so I just kind of walked away with it, like, yeah, it was okay, I guess. But this time, like, being able to watch it on my own and just really sit and focus on it, man, I really did not, like, respect this movie enough the first time around. Um, second viewing, being able to really just focus entirely on it, I love this movie. Um, first class, I think it's great. I think it really breathes a lot of new life into the series. Um, sometimes when things just get too messy, like this franchise had done with the last two movies, sometimes you just got to go back to basics. And I think this movie does that very well. Um, I think, you know, it's great seeing how professor X and Magneto 
first like meet and come together. Like it, it does everything that a prequel should do. It, it manages to, you know, go back, show you the untold story of how everything began, but it doesn't like, it doesn't really commit a lot of the sins that other prequels do. You know, um, I think Kevin Bacon as Sebastian Shaw is awesome. Like he, he is just an awesome villain in this movie. Um, I think just like pretty much everything, like James McAvoy as Professor X, great. Michael Fassbender as Magneto, great. Um, I love that, I mean, you mentioned the last episode, Blake, about how that opening scene from the first movie with Magneto as a kid in the concentration camp was so great that they recreated it for this movie. Uh, they didn't just recreate it, they expanded on it because then they show what happens after that and it's just, mmm, so good. And... I just I, I love seeing Magneto's like journey as a character and that that scene when he kills Sebastian Shaw at the end like I love that that shot of uh you know the back and forth between Professor X and Sebastian Shaw as Magneto is killing him just yeah, it's oh amazing. my yeah like and just there there I have nothing bad to say about this movie like it it is great um, I mean, the only critiques I can make about this movie, I'll wait until we get to the next one, because the critiques I can make about this movie don't really so much apply to this movie. They more so apply to what came after, and I'll expand on that later. But this movie, I love it. It's an A, easily, for me. Go ahead, Mike. Um, so, just to give a little background here, I remember when this movie was um, announced uh, before it came out and stuff. I don't know, just just reading about it, like I did not think this movie was going to be good. Like I thought this movie was going to suck so bad. I agree. It like those initial like pre-release like talk. It did not inspire confidence. Yeah, and like I wasn't like impressed with like the pictures. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. And I, at first, when I heard about it, I was kind of annoyed that. Um, well, I, at first, I was excited that they were going back to the '60s because I mean that's when the comic originally came out. Mm-hmm. But then when I found out that we weren't going to have like Cyclops and like a bunch of the OG X Men, like really the only OG X Men on the like the team team was like Beast, right? So um, I was I don't know that just really like irked me. I was, I don't know if you could tell from the last video, like I was on a Cyclops rant and I was just like, <laughs> I just want my boy to get some justice. And like, so they're like, oh, well, we're going back before he was born or whatever. And I'm just like, God damn it. <laughs> you, get <laughs> it's it. like, you get his older brother <laughs> though. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, um, uh, it was like we finally get a movie that doesn't focus on Wolverine, and they they don't. It's like they don't have Cyclops, and that was literally my reaction. I was just like, "God damn it!" <laughs> but anyways, I, I digress. I digress. But um, but no, I saw so when the trailer first came out, I'm like, "Okay, all right, that's that's decent trailer." And, um, and then I remember when I saw it in theaters, it it blew me away. Like my low expectations, like I think in some ways helped. (laughs) They Um, always do. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they do. Like, I feel like it has a bigger impression on you. Um, But yeah, just this, like Matthew Vaughn's like directing is so superb in this movie. Um, 
I'm like in hindsight, I wish he would have continued with this series and wouldn't have left to yeah. do Kingsman. Yeah. Um, I really, I really wish he was because I guess semi spoiler for my opinions on the other movies, they get worse as they go along. But I mean that in a nice way for the next two, not the last one, <laughs> but I still like the next two, but like they get, they get worse as they go along. But, um, no, just, yeah, James McAvoy was, he's great as Professor X. He has that kind of, he's not the stereotypical Professor X where, you know, he's the the British dude who's super serious and super smart and has the answer for everything. He's, I like that they he, show that. He's a bit of a frat boy. Uh, yeah, like he, they show like his younger side, like oh, Professor X used to party and stuff. Like, right? They show him like they show him like doing a beer bong and stuff, and I mm-hmm. love that. And he's like, he's like using scientific terms to try to like pick up chicks. Right. Yeah, I really like that kind of like humanizing side of Charles, and um, um, I gotta throw it too, like Kevin Bacon as Sebastian Shaw. Like, I fucking love Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. And usually, I he has played a villain before, but like, I feel like a lot of people never talk about like his villain roles. Because, and don't get me wrong, I love him as a hero. Like, I fucking love Tremors and shit like that. But like, he's so good at playing a villain. He's he was a villain in another movie. He was in a movie I really like called Sleepers. Mm-hmm. And he's just ah, oh, you just want to like curb stomp him and then piss <laughs> on him, like. He's just so good at being bad. And like that carries over into this movie. Like, like you saying how the extended opening scene, like that scene where like, he's like trying to force Magneto to use his powers. Yeah. He doesn't do it right. Like he just fucking kills his mom in front of him. That, that scene scene when he's in, when he's in the office, like I remember watching that. And like, at first you just see like, you know, the camera's on Magneto and it's on Sebastian Shaw and it just looks like a normal office. And then you see like the other side of the office and you see the surgical table and the tools like that and, shit. And just like, hit, oh. Yeah, that shit hits hard. <laughs> yeah. And no. And like when he kills, when he kills Magneto's mom and Magnet, you just see like that bell crunch. Mm-hmm. He, like he has no like no remorse. He's just like, ah, wunderbar. Mm hmm. And just like uh and he just and he just eats it up like when Magneto screams and makes all the metal fly around, he's just laughing and giggling. Like, nah, he's he's great. Um, um and the, this movie surprised me too, because like I didn't think this movie was gonna be like a crazy action film, but like the action scenes for what are in these this movie are really good. Like, I feel like the third act is really like enthralling. Yeah. One of the, one of the characters I really liked, he doesn't have a lot of lines, but I really liked Azazel, like Nightcrawler's dad, red Nightcrawler. <laughs> yeah. And he's so cool. Like when he's like teleporting around and like using the swords and cutting people up, mm-hmm. that was, that was legit cool. Um, and you know, we got introduced to Jennifer Lawrence's mystique and, I feel like I feel like this movie in Days of Future Past is probably her best. Well, we'll get think, into that later. I think introducing her, like showing, like having introducing that story of Mystique and Professor X was was a really interesting choice. 
Yeah, they 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 I like that they kind of like, humanized her because in the the previous movie she's just kind of like almost just like a weapon or a tool for Magneto to use. Mm-hmm. Um, in more ways, more ways than one of them, right? Oh. I prefer the real Raven. Perfection, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, speaking of him. No, okay, Michael fucking Fassbender, the guy, like, his performance as Magneto is Oscar-worthy, and I I don't say that lightly, I don't throw that word around, but, like, he's just so goddamn perfect in this movie, Mm -hmm. like, and that's why I say, like, I have the utmost respect for Ian McKellen, I love that dude, um, but to me, he his performance as Gandalf will always outshine his performance as Magneto. Yeah, that's one of those things. Like when you see it, when you when a certain when you associate a certain actor with a character, like Christopher Reeve is Superman, Bruce Willis is John McClane. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like Ian McKellen is Gandalf. It's right. not Ian McKellen is Magneto. Right. No, Michael Fassbender is Magneto. Like, I love that like, line in the beginning where he's just like, I'm, I guess I'm Frankenstein's monster and I'm just looking for my creator. Yeah, and that that whole scene is just beautiful. Where, like, he mm-hmm. just pretends to be a dude, like, coming to get a drink. And, like, he just, and they slowly piece together, like, who he is. Mm-hmm. I don't love and he's like, they're like, oh, because they, he asked them about their families. They're like, oh, yeah, my my dad was a butcher or whatever. Oh, you know, my, my dad was a tailor. They're like, um, what what was your uh what was your uh family's heritage or whatever or last name? And he's like, Oh, they didn't have one. They were taken from them by butchers and tailors. And he's mm-hmm. like he's like, you know, clinging the glasses together, like, oh slowly piecing the, and he just and then, kills them all. And then they see the tattoo on his arm. Yeah, they see like his number and like he's just he's so moving in that movie and just at the end of the, like when he fucking kills Sebastian Shaw, and the thing is too, it's not even it's not even about the the morality or like the whole like ongoing theme of X Men with like humans and mutants and stuff like that. He even agrees with Sebastian Shaw. He says that to him. He's like, I want you to know that I agree with everything you said, but unfortunately, you killed my mother. Mm-hmm. And, and he just slowly fucking pushes that coin through his head, the coin that he gave him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's beautiful. Like, and that whole, and that by that movie, that movie, I am rooting for Magneto the whole fucking time. <laughs> and what, and like, and I get where Charles said, and he's just like, oh, you know, they're men just following orders. And he just says, he's like, I've been at the mercy of men just following orders. Right. Never again. Right. And it, it it's beautiful too. And the thing is, too, like, Magneto also saves them because those fuckers are going to blow them up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this fucking Americans and Soviets, They he was right. He's like, Americans, Soviets, he's like, they won't see the difference. He's right. like, it's like, they'll fear us, and that fear will turn to hatred. And it's like, he was right, and Charles was wrong. Charles thought, like, if we stop the Cuban Missile Crisis, like, they'll like us, and they didn't. Nope. <laughs> And yeah, and just that's what that that's what makes Magneto so compelling is just that he's he's got a point. He's not, <laughs> he's not well. The thing is, it's like like in real life, like like the people the people that we see 
as like, you know, dictators or tyrants or, you know, the real villains of real life. On their side of the story, they're a hero to people, like mm-hmm. their followers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's always another side of the story. There's always different circumstances, and you don't really get that, I feel like, in a lot of stories. And I also feel like you kind of get that with Ian McKellen's, but not enough. Right. He's very much he's very much still like the mustache twirling villain. Mm-hmm. Because because we have just such that huge time jump from like World War Two to like the present day in the old movies. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, you like you see like that he is a caring person. He is a passionate person. He does care about people. He does care about mutant kind. He's just trying he's just trying to survive and make sure his people are safe. And yeah, it's it's just great. I think the whole cast is great. There's some characters I wish that would have returned, but um, no, this this movie is an A plus to me. Like to this day, this is still the best X Men movie. But yeah. All right, Blake, go ahead. Well, I I don't want to keep you in suspense, so I'm gonna get the rating out of the way. It's an A. Um, this is the best X Men movie. Um, it completely blew the original trilogy away. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and I guess not to spoil or do a fast forward on how I feel about the rest of the movies, all but the very last one, but I'll take the first class trilogy. Um, and the reason why I say that is because again, I'm excluding dark Phoenix, but I'll take the first class trilogy over the original trilogy any day. Like if you were to tell me, Oh, Hey, um, I want a marathon, you know, one, two or three, or, you know, first class days of future past and apocalypse. I'm like, I'll do the first class movies like any day, any week. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, just to take it back is like, yeah, the, the very first pictures in like entertainment weekly or whatever, like they weren't good. No. And I, I don't know if it was just like the photographer, the product, the lighting of the picture, or, like the angle, like the first time we saw Michael Fassbender, as Magneto, like in that yellow jumpsuit with his helmet on, looked his helmet looked his helmet looked too big. Like it looked weird. Like it was a very it was a very weird angle. It almost looks it almost looks like it's like photoshopped onto his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there was just something wrong. But then, like Entertainment Weekly, the year later, did a bad job with the first pictures of the Avengers. So, like, I think it's like, hey, Marvel, if you want to announce. <laughs> or if you want to do your first promotional pictures, uh, don't send them to Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> yeah. but, well, I also think like too, like post production's a hell of a thing, and I, I don't think post production was done when those pictures came out. And what a lot of people don't realize is that's why a lot of Comic Con trailers aren't released to the public because they just look different on in Hall H on that big screen. Mm-hmm. But then if you because a lot of them actually the visual effects aren't like one hundred percent finished. So if you were to release them online, a lot of people would be like, ew, that could look a little bit better. And it's like, well, to be fair, the movie has 10 more months. Right. Um, but anyway, so yeah, like it's just the pictures were kind of underwhelming. Um, and then the first like trailer or two was it was OK. I was like, OK, all right, I can maybe work with this. But the very last trailer, the final trailer that like really went into it and like, you know, um, them showing like the Russians have sent warheads to Cuba and then it's doing JFK talking about um, the Cuban missile crisis. And it's like, this actually looks really cool. Yeah. And they're inserting the X-Men into American history. They're doing a watchman 
but it's going to be PG-13, obviously. And I showed it to my family, and my family didn't give a shit about the X. Well, my parents didn't give a shit about the X. <laughs> and then my sister and brother-in-law liked the original trilogy, but they would have had no expectations for first class. I showed them that final trailer that really goes into the Cuban Missile Crisis subplot, and they're like, this actually looks really good. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and it just it does a good job at explaining, like, because in the original show, he's like, oh, yeah, Charles and Charles and um, Eric, they were friends. And it's like, you don't really see any evidence of why they would have been friends like <laughs> Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. But in this, it does a really good job at explaining why they were friends. Mm-hmm. Like it has so many good moments. And a moment that I want to bring up is Charles helps Eric access his favorite memory of like him blowing out his birthday candles with his mom. Which they weren't birthday really candles. It was, it was Hanukkah. It was Hanukkah. Oh, my bad, my bad. I'm sorry. I, I didn't get to rewatch <laughs> it, so I'm working on like 90% memory. But anyway, it was Hanukkah, which I, I guess that does that's more fitting. It makes more sense for the context of the story. But still, it was his favorite memory. And it's a very beautiful moment that like his best friend helped him remember that. Um, remember that he even still had that memory. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it shows that like... Magneto wasn't always an asshole and like he he was like a he tried to be a nice guy especially to mutants he wasn't just like very self-centered like he prefers quote the real raven and another great moment is he tries to genuinely sincerely compliment beast yeah beast is an asshole to him yeah and he's just like he's like don't mock me and Magneto's like I wasn't like I thought that was a very underrated moment um and uh but yeah, I mean, when he gets his revenge, it is so satisfying because, of course, Charles is once again on his like, no, we have to be the better man. And I'm like, and my, a trigger for me in a movie is when the mom dies. Like, I don't I don't like that shit. Like, it's I mean, it's effective. It works like it's supposed to get you emotionally invested. But I'm just like, yo, Magneto, you better not fucking bitch out of this. He's <laughs> <laughs> finally he's like, oh, man, fuck Charles. Yeah, he's like, you killed my mother. And I'm like, that's right, kill his ass. <laughs> it's like, I was just not having it. Like, it is a very satisfying moment. Um, as far as, like, the rest of the movie, the rest of the movie is great, too. I mean, like, obviously, my biggest compliments go to Michael Fassbender as Magneto. Um, but, yeah, and it, it takes – this is a good example of a comic book movie taking liberties. If you're going to change stuff, if you're going to do different stuff – Make it work well. Make it work in its own way. Mm-hmm. And make it interesting. Like them making Mystique um, Charles Xavier's foster sister. Like obviously that would piss off like, you know, hardcore comic book fans of the classic issues. But it's like movies are movies and books are books. And sometimes they just got to try to do something new for the sake of a movie. And this is a, this is a good example of it working. So yeah, not to not to drag it on. I think it's the best X Men movie. I think it's probably not just one of the best prequels ever. It's one of the few good prequels. Like I think usually prequels don't really work that well, um, mm-hmm. but I think it works here. Um, mainly because like at the time we weren't one hundred percent sure it was a prequel. It was kind of like which is I'm going to get to that when we talk about the next movie. Yeah, which is kind of like. It's kind of like Casino Royale in a way. They were doing a Casino Royale where it was just like a revamp in its own right. Um, but yeah, 
and it is a shame that um, Matthew Vaughn never returned as opposed to just making like Kingsman spinoffs that I will probably never bother seeing because I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, that's really <laughs> but It's an A. I do love uh, the, that that one scene when they uh, when Magneto and Charles uh, capture Emma Frost and like Charles looks into her mind to find out what Sebastian Shaw's plan is. It just shows him putting like those missiles on the globe, the map of the world and everything. Like it, it it's absolutely fitting for the tone of this movie and yeah. the style of this movie, but goddamn, it looked like a Hanna Barbera skit. Like it was so goofy <laughs> to me. And I'm not knocking any points off for it. It just looks so goofy to me, like if you remove it out of that context. I, I would say there are, yeah, but yes, I agree, and it does fit the 1960s. In a way, this movie is kind of like, what if Christopher Nolan made Austin Powers? <laughs> what, what a summarization. Which is funny, because Nolan is a huge Bond fan. Oh, and yeah. The, the James Bond movies were like a big inspiration for the Dark Knight movies. Yeah. I can see it. Well, I mean, like, when, when Magneto kills those guys, like, he's totally got that classic Sean Connery. He's got that classic what? You broke up. Blake? Yeah? You broke up. He's got that classic what? Sean Connery drip. Why are you shouting? <laughs> because you can't hear me. Oh, your internet sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're the only one breaking up, buddy. Can you hear me now? Yes. All right. Good. <laughs> All right, well, after that little outburst, we'll move on to the next movie, <laughs> X-Men Days of Future Past. You brought it on yourself. Fuck you. Eat my butt. <laughs> oh, that didn't break up, though. <laughs> Nothing are we, we going to do this? Point. You want to you start? I'll start. <laughs> Days of Future Past. <laughs> so... <laughs> I remember when this movie got announced, everybody blew the hell up for multiple reasons. Brian Singer was coming back. It was connecting the OG cast to the first class cast. And it was an adaptation of probably the most popular X-Men comic story. Um, Me personally, I'm not too big on the Days of Future Past story. I think it's fine. Um, I think a lot of people like overestimate the scale of that story because it was only two issues. It was, it was only two issues and it was just like done. And I mean, they, there's been stories that have gone back to that timeline here and there, but the original story was just two issues. Um, and just me personally, it just kind of feels slightly derivative of a lot of other things like, Oh wow. A dystopian future where all the characters, you know, and love are either dead or really bitter. Fucking dare to dream. Um, <laughs> but I get it. It's a popular story, and they're, you know, an adaptation of it. It's popular. I get it. And I remember walking out of this movie not – I didn't hate it. I didn't dislike it, but I remember not loving it as much as other people did. And I remember we waited a whole year for the Rogue cut, <laughs> which that's a sin in of itself because they made you wait a whole year for an alternate cut of a movie that isn't really that different and in some ways is worse in my opinion – um, but as far as the theatrical cut, which is the only cut that's on Disney plus funny enough, um, you know, and I rewatched this one too, leading up to this episode and it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag for me. I'm, I'm still kind of struggling on where I want to grade this one because 
you know, I was talking earlier with first class, some of the sins that some of the critiques I would have of first class, I can't put on that movie necessarily because they don't really become problems until this movie. Because Blake, like you mentioned, this movie, first class wasn't really supposed to be a prequel. Even at the time of release, it was supposed to be a reboot. Um, but when they, after it did well, they decided to connect it to the OG movies with this movie. And the problem with that is like, they tried to make first class a reboot, but at the same time they had stuff to connect it to the original trilogy. Like they kept mystique, you know, her design exactly the same. They had the Hugh Jackman logo as Wolverine. Um, you know, they were like, Oh, here's why mystique joins Magneto. Like there's a lot of stuff connecting it to the OG trilogy. It's like, is it supposed to be a reboot or is it a prequel? Make up your mind guys. Um, and because of that, there's moments with Days of Future Past that just, there's some blanks in the movie. And I feel like it's because this, they didn't lean in on First Class being a prequel 100%. And also slightly because of laziness. Like, in a couple of them, I'm, I would be willing to forgive if they were the only ones. Like, for example, Days of Future Past is set up with the post credit scene of the Wolverine and in the Wolverine, he loses his metal claws. Um, so he only has the bone claws, but for some reason he has metal claws again in days of future pass. And for some reason, Kitty pride has a power that she didn't have in the previous movies. Okay. Like I'd be willing to forgive those two things if those were the only things, but then there's like the biggest one is like somehow professor X is alive and back in his like normal body. What? <laughs> Just because, <laughs> And, you know, it might sound like nitpicking, but when one, like in the case of Professor X being back, when the entire foundation of the movie is basically built on that, and then with the other things, when there's just so many of them, it just starts to get kind of annoying, and it just starts to feel lazy. And Blake and I were discussing this movie over Facebook Messenger a couple days ago, and I noticed that, like, with this movie it really makes you discuss the hypotheticals way more than stuff that happens in the actual movie. Like the U S government is the most inconsistent villain I've ever seen in this movie because that's real life too. I mean, you're not wrong, I guess, but, <laughs> but like in this movie, when, when Bolivar Trask is trying to pitch the, the Sentinel program to the, um, to the, to Congress. And they're just like, no, they're just like, you know, the, if mutants are here, like you say, they're existing peacefully. You know, we don't even know if like the Cuban Missile Crisis thing was actually mutants or whatever. It's like you were fucking willing to blow up a whole beach because you thought it was mutants. Like, what's this whatever attitude? And then they're also talking about like if they're here, they're existing peacefully, but they have Magneto locked up because he is accused of killing JFK. You now later Magneto says, "I wasn't trying to kill him. I was trying to save him because he was one of our own." Assuming that's true, it's just like, there's still a problem with the government. Like, do you guys want to, like, are you guys afraid of mutants or not? Like, do you want to rid the world of them or not? Because, like, even, because then it raises the question of, did was the government in on the assassination? And then they tried to, like, blame it on Magneto. It's like, well, if that's the case, why didn't they hold Magneto up as, like, a patsy and be like, see, we told you mutants are dangerous. Like... I don't want the government to win in this movie, not just because they're the villains, but because I don't feel like they want it enough to deserve a victory. <laughs> and it's it's just <laughs> kind of annoying. Um, and that being said, though, there are a lot of good things in this movie. 
there's even a lot of beautiful moments in this movie. Um, and there's just like, I think it was cool that they managed to connect the young cast to the OG cast. Um, and I think I do like uh, Peter Dinklage as Bolivar Trask. And I love how they made Bolivar Trask. Like they, they added enough nuance to him to keep him from being a copy of William Stryker from X2. Because with William Stryker, like he, he just flat out hates mutants. But Bolivar Trask is like, I don't hate them. If anything, I admire them. But I also don't want my people to go extinct. So it's, it's enough of a nuance to make him a very separate entity. Um, and I, I love Mystique's story in this movie about how she's broken off from Magneto and she's doing her own thing. And when that scene when she you know breaks into Trask's files and sees like he's been doing he killed and did autopsies on the on like the crew that Magneto and her left with in first class and she just like freaks out. That's a great scene. Um, it uh, there, like I said, there are a lot of great moments in this movie, but there's just a lot of moments that are just kind of like. If one, there's a lot of blanks to the point that it makes you feel like, you know, are you leaving things open to interpretation or are you expecting me as the viewer to basically write the movie for you? And probably the thing that really drags this movie down the most is the final conflict on the White House lawn because there isn't really a conflict or at least not much of one. I mean, Wolverine gets yeeted out of the area like unceremoniously. <laughs> and then... You know, Beast gets trapped in a car for like five minutes, and then Professor X gets trapped under some rubble, and then Raven shoots Magneto, and that's it. And I mean, again, speaking of beautiful moments in this movie, I love that moment when Charles is just like, when he's talking to Raven and trying to convince her to not shoot Trask and, you know, send them down this path towards this dark future. He's like, I've spent my whole life trying to control you, and look where it's gotten us, so I'm leaving it in your hands because I trust you. That's a great moment, but just that whole fun. And also, I mean, I didn't notice this until you brought it up, Blake, about how the final conflict in this movie is pretty much a copy paste of the final moment in first class. Um, So, you know, you deserve full credit for bringing that up because I totally didn't notice it until you did. Um, This movie, it's still difficult for me to grade it. It's somewhere between a B and a C for me. But when I really sit down and think about it and look at the flaws in it, especially those plot holes and those blanks and just how it kind of just kind of just goes, fuck it. We're just going to go from point A from point B, deal with it. I got to give it a C because when I think about that stuff, I got to think about how if any other movie did stuff like that, especially if a DC movie did something like that, we never would have heard the end of it. So I, I got to give Days of Future Past a C. And another thing, like, I love the ending to this movie. Like, I think this probably has the best ending, or at least one of the best endings out of the whole franchise. Like, Logan waking up and, like, the future's all bright and, like, you know, they're all at school and everything. Um, I just love that ending. But it also, like, because I don't like that the future team is a lot of new characters like Bishop and Blank and Sunspot and all that. I don't like that it's mostly new characters. And I get that they had to kill all, like keep the OG crew out to like sell like, hey, a lot of them are dead because of the Sentinels in the future and everything. But like, I don't know. It's just, it, when you have these brand new characters, I just don't have the emotional investment in them because I've never seen them before. 
And then at the end, like, where are these characters? You know, it, it's the ending is a little too open-ended because it's like, where's Magneto? Where's Mystique? Where's Blank and Sunspot and all the other guys? What happened to them? Um, I don't know. <laughs> like, and I wish, like, Mike, you were talking about how we really needed Cyclops in first class, or you really wanted Cyclops in first class. I wanted Cyclops in this one. I feel like Cyclops should have been like one of the uh, future members of the team fighting the Sentinels. Um, especially since Halle Berry's role got severely cut down because she was pregnant at the time. It's like, why not just put Cyclops in there? Like, there would have been a moment I to guess, redeem him from two and three for being benched the I, whole movie. I guess I guess because at the time, they were still counting The Last Stand as canon, I guess. Oh, yeah, that's and true. Still and still implying he was dead. <laughs> that's true. That's that's. That's one hundred percent. Because when like Wolverine, because like when Wolverine sees Scott in the future, he acts surprised. I guess that's like, right. thinking he was still dead. Yeah, that's right. I'm dumb. I'm sorry. But <laughs> but no, but no. I was so glad when they brought him back. I was like, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> no, like the, Days of Future Past. There's a lot of good moments. There's a lot of ev- like even beautiful moments in this movie. But there's a lot of moments that I'm just like, what? <laughs> um. So yeah, I I gotta sit. Days of Future Past at a C. Go ahead, Mike. Um, so with this movie, with at, with Love and First Class, when this movie was announced, like I was so fucking pumped. And um, I remember finding out, like, because originally Matthew Vaughn was going to direct this, mm-hmm. and then he dropped out, and that was when Brian Singer was like, "Well, okay, I'll come back." So. At the time, like I was like, okay, well, you know, Matthew Vaughn dropped out, but hey, at least Brian Singer's coming back. But in hindsight, I would have rather Matthew Vaughn s- stick through it all. Yeah. But anyways, so um, Days of Future Past, yeah, I I still think this is a good movie. Like it's it could have been a great movie, but I I think it's good. I think it achieved what. Um, it was going for. And I I give it a lot of credit for that. Like, I feel like even though first class is an amazing movie and in my opinion, the best X-Men movie, I feel like it, it did well, but like people were still like, kind of like on the downside of Mm X-Men. And I I feel like this movie, like really kind of brought the X-Men franchise back Mm -hmm. because, you know, people will always love Wolverine no matter what, but like, I feel like X-Men at at the cinematic level, like people didn't care as much. It was kind of, I kind of see it as like, um, not, not as movie quality wise, but like audience response, Mm -hmm. like kind of like Batman begins in the dark night. Yeah. Like Batman begins was great, but I don't think it garnered the attention that people wanted it to because they were still kind of recovering from like the poor reception of Batman and Robin. But then the Dark Knight, it was like, oh well, Batman's everywhere, you know. Right, right. I feel like when Days of Future Past came back, came out, it was like, oh, X Men's everywhere again. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I. But I will say this thing: I was kind of, I was kind of nervous about like Wolverine being in the limelight again. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, I was like, this is gonna be a fucking Wolverine movie all over again. Because like a big thing, like in the Days of Future Past comic, is like the Kitty Pride goes back in time. Mm-hmm. 
but they reversed it. They have Kitty Pride like send Wolverine back, which I think in the context of the story makes sense because you know Wolverine's an immortal, you know, and he's been around for so long, like right. he can just hop back into his old body. Right, and it's also like they say, like you know, your your mind, can, a person's mind can only go so far back before it snaps, and Wolverine's just like, what about someone's mind who just pieces itself back together? Yeah, like someone who can heal and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and. I will say, like, when they go back into the past, Wolverine does not overshadow everybody. Right. Like, this movie is very much a movie about Charles and Mystique. Mm-hmm. Like, they are, mu- they are very much, like, the focal points of these movies. And I think one of the best scenes in the movie is where um, young Charles, like, goes kind of through Wolverine's mind from like past to the future mm-hmm. and he talks to old Charles and like you get to see James McAvoy and Patrick Stewart like act together. Yeah. And I, yeah. And like when he tells them like how we need you to hope again, like yeah. I thought, I thought that was a really great scene. Um, um, well, what else? Sorry. Just, I just love before like, that too. Uh, James McAvoy, as he's seen Wolverine's future, he's just like, Oh God, you poor, poor man. Yeah, like yeah, his reaction is great. I, I I think I think James McAvoy is even better in this one than he was in the first one. I agree, and I think James McAvoy and Patrick Stewart both share like at least as far as their portrayals of Pat, of Charles Xavier goes, they both like have this ability with at least with that character to like put so much feeling and everything and like all the feeling you need into just like one sentence, like. James McAvoy with, oh God, you poor man. And then later in the same movie, Patrick Stewart, when Wolverine starts drowning and Patrick Stewart just goes, oh dear God, no. Yeah. 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 And I feel like this movie, like I could start seeing like, okay, I can see like James McAvoy becoming like Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. And cause yeah. Cause like Patrick Stewart, like he very much is like professor X. Like I feel like he's just like professor X, like ripped right from the, the comic mm-hmm. but like james mcavoy is the guy before that and he feels like his arc is like going to that like first he's kind of like this wide-eyed fun-loving like kind of individual mm-hmm. he's like oh he's like he's learning about mutants and he's excited and you know he's doing all these discoveries and he's bringing them together but then this movie i feel like kind of brings him to his lowest point and we really see this kind of dark side to charles this dark depressed side it's very much like an analogy of like a drug addict oh yeah like, like he, him using right, that. yeah the, the right before he shoots up he's like licking his lips and everything like a heroin addict yeah like he's he's like addicted to walking but like it also takes his powers away and it's kind of like a mutant's powers is also sort of kind of like their identity like kind of like when a a drug addict kind of like loses their life to addiction and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I thought that was actually done really well. Cause I remember seeing stills for this movie with like Charles walking. I'm like, why the fuck is he walking? <laughs> right. I was like, I thought maybe like with the time travel, they like changed it and like, he didn't get shot. It's like, Oh, well maybe he gets paralyzed later. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. And also like in the stills, like beast was normal again. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, this is a time travel movie. Maybe, like, the timeline got skewed and, like, Beast is still human-looking and, like, Charles is still walking. But now they, they answer that with the whole serum thing. But, um, yeah. Um, one, one thing, like, is the, the uh, 
the praise I gave for Magneto, I feel like, and it, it gets worse as it goes on, but like, I feel like with Magneto in this movie, they started off strong, but mm-hmm. then it, it kind of falters. Like in the ex in the because, first class quadrilogy, Michael Fassbender as Magneto is kind of like Angry Beavers, where he's like, "Baron once was bad, then good, now bad again, Beaver." Yeah, and like the thing is, I think this movie should have taken advantage more of the time travel thing, mm-hmm. and like kind of changed it up a little more, because it's like, all right, well, we've seen bad Magneto. Mm-hmm. This this movie, like the old movie, was in the sixties. Now this is in the seventies. We've already established that you know Magneto has been a bad guy, and then he was arrested and he's put in that hidden prison, like underneath, like uh, was it underneath the Pentagon? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Underneath the Pentagon. And I think when they broke him out, and speaking of that, like Evan Peters, like his Quicksilver was fucking amazing. Yeah. Like he's so good in them, and like the the time in the bottle scene when like he saves them all and like runs around in super speed, like it's just great. And I remember seeing pictures of like Evan Peters with like his silver hair and like his silver jacket and his goggles. I'm like, it's like God, that looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but yet again, it was like just the pictures, you know? It's right. Like, but yeah, like he's so good in the movie. Like he's he's one of like the he's one of the like most memorable characters of these movies. And like, it's like, who gave a fuck about Quicksilver? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Like, like he, it's like, he was like the discount. Cause in the comics, he's just kind of like a discount bad guy flash. And th- mm-hmm. these movies, he's never even a villain. Like they just make him an X-Men. And like, he's so, he, he's like the comic relief and he's so fucking funny. And like Evan yeah. Peters is a great actor. He's, um, he's another good example of, they made a change and it worked. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, Quicksilver has been good, but, like, normally he starts off as, like, a Brotherhood member, and then, like, he joins the Avengers, which is basically what they did in the MCU movie, but the MCU Quicksilver is very much inferior to this one. I will say it is... And the funny thing is, it is also more comic book accurate. I will say it is a bit of another plot hole, though, with, you know, Wolverine being like, I know a guy. He'd be a kid about now. It's like, when did you ever meet him? When did this happen? (laughs) Nightcrawler. Yeah. <laughs> Quick some. Yeah. I forgot all yeah. about that. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, for for the for the viewers at home that don't know when we when we saw this movie in theaters and Wolverine says that scene and I understand why Brad said this like right. he's like, "Oh, I know a guy. He can get anywhere." So you think like, "Oh, you know, he he knows a guy that teleports or whatever." And literally just out loud in the movie theater, our friend Brad <laughs> just goes, "Nightcrawler." And then it just cuts to Peter uh Maximoff's house. He's just like, hmm? <laughs> Just I that, forgot. I forgot all about that. Confusion. <laughs> it's great. We love you, Brad. Anyways, um, but no, like when Magneto when Magneto busts out, they have that great scene on the airplane mm-hmm. where Magneto's you know, you, like he says like how he was trying to save JFK because he was a mutant, and he says that how like his crew from like first class, kind of like the first like Brotherhood. They were all like killed and experimented on by the government, except for Mystique. And he like has that great scene. He's like, "Where were you, Charles?" And he's like, "We were supposed to protect them." And it's it's great. And you think like they're gonna come together and like work together to stop this? <laughs> nope. <laughs> but then when Magneto finds out that Mystique is the key to all of it, he just 
turns into Baron McBad guy, and like, I just feel like this Magneto, like, especially with his development with Mystique and how close he had gotten to her, I don't think he would have just like at the drop of a hat would have tried to kill her. Right. Maybe the Ian, maybe the Ian McKellen Magneto, but not this one. And I feel like maybe saving like a flip back to being a bad guy would have been better reserved at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think he should have stuck with them until like the big like thing with the Sentinels. Mm-hmm. Like I think they should have fought the Sentinels at the end of the movie with Magneto and maybe he turns again. Right. And like like you said with like this finale like it's it's not as good as the finale of First Class. It's all right. Yeah. I do I do really like the the 70 Sentinels like how they look. They're really cool looking. Um, Which I will say, that, that's another thing I forgot to mention. This movie is the best depiction of the Sentinels ever. Yeah, and Especially even the, the future, future Sentinels, ones. like, the future ones, like, would I imagine they would look like that? No, but, like, what they do with them is really interesting because yeah. they can, like, adapt and, like, copy, like, powers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they're legit like, kind of terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, that would make sense how they would you know, hunt down and kill mutants other than just being robots with guns and lasers yeah. and missiles and shit. They, they don't, they but, don't um, look like, they don't look like they're made out of mega blocks in this one. Yeah. But the cool thing is, is that if you want the kind of classic looking like purple ones, like, well, you get that in the past. And that's what I really liked. Mm-hmm. I like that. We got to see like a futuristic one and an old one. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, and like another thing, like, I don't know if anybody's ever thought of this, but like, to me, like, this is another missed opportunity for the X-Men costumes. Like, this was, like, because it's the 70s, you know, things are cheesy. Like, they should have they had Wolverine and Beast suit up. Does anybody else feel that way? I don't know. I kind of... I'm not saying... I, I kind of get... saying, like, you got to make Hugh Jackman wear the mask or whatever. But I think Hugh Jackman should have worn, like, a brown and yellow, like, outfit. It's like, literally, like, when they go in the 70s... The only person that wears a costume is Magneto. I don't know. I feel like with the context of this one being that, you know, the school shut down, there is no X-Men. I think it makes sense for them to not have suits. Yeah. I just think for like the final act, it would have been cool yeah. for them to wear something. But because like, I mean, the suits in the future are all right. It's just kind of, you know, the black armor or whatever. But, right. um, but, uh, yeah. And another thing, like, I mean, going in the next movie, this movie kind of ends on like a twist where like, you know, you see Stryker like pick up Wolverine in the water mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, well, no, the yellow eyes, no mystiques got him. So I guess the Weapon X program's not going to happen. Well, spoiler psych. alert, <laughs> psych, they completely ignore that, which yeah. I was like, you could have done something with that, guys. But yeah. um, no, this movie... I would say I would say Days of Future Past for me is a B B plus because I think I love I love what it did for the franchise at the time and like you know I'm a sucker for time travel so and that's other than like just the Days of Future Past story like that's a big thing in the comics like especially with a lot of characters like fan favorites like Cable and Bishop and stuff like that. Um, I thought the I thought the action was a lot better in this movie, um, even though I think the final act's better in the previous. But um, no, I think I think it's a good like second part of a trilogy. But yeah, 
All righty, Blake, go ahead. So, um, uh-huh. then, <laughs> uh, do do let me okay. Do let me know if I break up or whatever. Okay, because so, that's important. But I think mainly what we have here is we have a good movie with a lot of great parts, and then a lot of parts that just could have been better and should have been better. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think that's what we have going on here. But, I mean, I remember when this was first announced and Brian said, and again, like I said in the last episode, at the time, right. what I thought of him back then. We didn't know, um, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we just knew him as a guy who made good decisions on previous films. Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> when they announced that he was coming back, it's like, oh, hell yeah. Like, that was cool. And I remember, and I'm surprised you didn't bring it up, Michael. I remember when the very first trailer for this dropped, and it was using oh, yeah. it was using the Thin Red Line music uh, by Hans Zimmer. And Michael and I probably watched that trailer forty or fifty times that weekend. That was a good we trailer. Just, oh, I watched it more than that. I watched it like two days in a row, like nonstop. Yeah, like that was an <laughs> awesome. That was an awesome trailer. And we were so excited for that. We're like, hell yeah, man. Like, <laughs> again, sorry, but like, we're like, Brian Singer is back, baby. <laughs> 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 fucking, fucking comments that didn't age very well. Yeah. But, um, but, but it was like, no, like, this is awesome. Like, it, it looks like just a great movie. It, and it, it looked like they were doing a, a well, Enough with the review of the trailer. (laughs) 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 Um, No, so I think, you know, they kind of did like, like you said, Donnie, you know, they had some moments where it's like, oh, it's it's a loose prequel. And then they had other moments where it's like, it's a revamp. Maybe not a full on reboot, but a revamp. Mm -hmm. And I think they were at the time, they were just trying to keep their options open. Um, But No, I mean, I I think they did do a pretty fair job at combining both generations together. Um, And you know what? Like, all the nitpicks you said, Donnie, like, I don't think you're necessarily wrong for them. Like, you know, the stuff that you bring up, I'm like, yeah, yeah. So for me, like, there's every segment of this movie, I can pick out some stuff that I really liked, and I can pick out some stuff that I would have wanted to like more. And I guess I just choose to side with what I did like and just take it for, well, this is what I got. So be it. Um, And, you know, I, it it did. The main complaint I do have is what you credited me for. And I thank you for that. Is like this final conflict is really, really is like a copy paste. Like just instead of a beach, a Cuban beach, it's the white house lawn. Instead of Magneto having a bunch of missiles in place, he has a bunch of pistols in place. You have Charles Xavier that's like, I can't walk. You have Mystique that's like, oh, I don't know what to do. And then you have Magneto that's like, this is how they want us to act. Like, it's the same fucking ending. And It just I has less like, action. Yeah. And I feel like this movie doesn't get enough smoke for that. Like, a lot of people let that shit slide. And I'm like, Brian Singer, like... 
you couldn't have made up your own ending. Like, <laughs> I also feel like, like, like going on to that point where you said Blake, well, how people didn't notice. I feel like kind of the same comparison where I said like Batman begins in the dark night. There was a bunch of people that went and saw the dark night without seeing Batman begins. And I feel like the same thing happened. I feel like there was probably a ton of people that went and saw this and didn't see first class. Maybe. I mean, I mean, I guess statistically that is mathematically probable because this movie made much more money than first class. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess the, the math at the numbers add up there. Um, but, but as far as, so, so that's my biggest nitpick. That's my biggest gripe. And again, like I'm not going to try to discredit anything Donnie said. And as far as like professor X coming back, all I can tell you about that, Donnie, is the movie said "fuck it," and at that point, I didn't give a shit. Like <laughs> it didn't just say "fuck it." It said it almost said "fuck you." <laughs> and I and I and I said, you know what? Fuck me too. <laughs> <laughs> I was at this point. I was just glad to have everybody back. And and to do a fast forward, the 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 fixed the fixed um um future you know where they do a quicker fucker upper and, <laughs> and, and cyclops is alive and gene is alive like that is very therapeutic that mm-hmm. is that is 20th century fox trying to give us a good old hug for surviving we're sorry <laughs> we're sorry they did they did they gave us a hug and they may have squeezed one of our cheeks a little bit but um, <laughs> um but anyway as far as like the final conflict what i did like about it is and I'm going to credit this to you, Donnie. It's like these movies do a really good job at making you understand Magneto, and they don't do a very good job at making you side with Charles. Right. Because Charles is like, no, we have to be the better people. We need to, we need to bend over backwards for them. And <laughs> <laughs> we need to bend over backwards for them. And I'm like, oh, you know what? You know, Charles is just trying to be the optimist. And and Charles is like being like, this is how they want us to act. And Magneto's like, no, they push us into acting this way. And then they have, they dare to act like it's our fault. And I go, hey, you know what, Charles, maybe it's time you shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. Oh, hey, Charles, hey, shut up. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's this back and forth. It's this back and forth of, oh, you know what, Charles, I admire your optimism. And then it's like, you know, Charles, quit being such a bitch. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, like again, I I choose to have more compliments for this movie than nitpicks. Um, as far as Kitty Pride's power that wasn't mentioned before, I mean, when we did see her that one other time, only before, like we didn't get to know her for that long, and they could just say it was just a power she hadn't fully developed yet, which does lead into your gripe with it, Donnie. That is very valid, which is. I shouldn't have to write half the backstory in my own head. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like that is the job of the screenwriter. Like, but again, like there's a lot to debate about this movie or just discuss, but I guess not to drag on because I feel like I'd rather talk about the next two movies more. I'm going to give days of future past a B. Um, and I will say that is a very, that's a B plus. And I know on the scale, it's just solid letters, but um, I love the opening to this movie where it's like Patrick Stewart narrating the future and it looks so retro. Like you have all those purple lights and they're wearing those collars that are yellow, like the neon. Like I absolutely love that. Like that shit slaps. Um, but yeah, no, I, 
I choose to give it a B. I think it's not as good as the previous film. And it did take a few years for that to sink in with me. Like at first I was like, oh yeah, it's the best X-Men movie. <laughs> no, it just has a lot of parts that are very satisfying and more satisfying than the original trilogy. But um, yeah, it's, it is a decent movie with great parts, but then a lot of parts that just could have been better. We'll move on to the next one, X-Men Apocalypse. I saw this one for the first time just a couple days ago. Uh, I did not see this when it first came out in theaters. And really for no reason other than I just didn't go see it. Um, But I remember, even though I didn't see it, I remember from the get-go thinking, this movie is not going to get a fair shake, no matter how good or bad it is. And I knew that just because of people's reactions to the first images of Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse. Like, people were dragging those images through the fucking mud. And I'm just like, what do you guys expect? He looks like Apocalypse. <laughs> like, that is Apocalypse. I I mean... Like, people wouldn't stop saying he looked like Ivan Ooze. It's like, right. all right, shut up. Because of that first picture where... And I was like, guys, it's just the lighting of the scene. Like, he's not actually going to be purple. <laughs> like, you can even tell in that picture that he's not actually that color. And I'm just like... Also, just be grateful that he's not CGI, that they actually went through the trouble to make Apocalypse, like, live action and makeup and practical effects. Like, I I just knew from the get-go this movie was not going to get a fair shake. And after seeing it, I'm just going to go out and say this movie is really underappreciated. Um, I mean, Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse, even if I don't necessarily care about whatever movie he's in, I always love Oscar Isaac, and that is... That there's no exception here. Like I like Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse. I think it's great, and I think it was a great choice. And I mean the the team. This movie has the perfect team for the X Men. I mean you got Nightcrawler, one of my favorites. You got Beast. You got Cyclops. You got Storm. You got well Storm's one of the four Horsemen. She becomes part of the team in the next movie. But I mean just they have this movie has the perfect team. And I mean just you got Quicksilver there and Oh man, just this movie was, I, I really enjoyed Apocalypse and I enjoyed seeing like Apocalypse gather his four horsemen. And I love that this movie really leaned into the like backstory of Apocalypse and like really went with a very uh, epic scale, very grandiose theme of, you know, he thinks he's actually a god and, you know, his origins in ancient Egypt and all that, because that was kind of very like right. Phil Jones. Yeah, very Phil it was Jones. Very Phil Jones. <laughs> there was even an Arby somewhere in there. Um, <laughs> but I, because uh, I remember when people started dragging those pictures of Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse of the Mud, I, I, I kept hearing, you know, he needs to be more like the cartoon. And I'm like, what, you want him to be traditionally animated? Like, I don't know what you're talking about here, but also. Guys, in the 90s cartoon, Apocalypse is only in, like, three episodes, and they don't go into, like, who he is or what he is at all. Like, he's just there. He's like, I'm going to blow everything up, and then that's the end of the episode. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I really appreciate it that this movie really leaned into that epic scale that this character deserves. And, and, and just, to, just to butt in there, Donnie, not just that, but, like, they don't even make a in the cartoon. They don't even make Apocalypse an end all be all villain. He's just no. like a random middle of the road nuisance. He just yeah. He shows <laughs> yeah. up every once in a while. And he's like, I'm gonna do something bad, and they're like, No, you're not. Yeah, see you next. Like, see you next week, kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just X Men Evolution did it better. 
Yeah. Oh, that that yeah. that that is he, an underrated cartoon, my friend. It is, and he yeah, and he was and he was the final like villain of the show too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Sorry again, Donnie, but yeah, it's just like the, the animated series just made Apocalypse like this this random side villain that's just fucking annoying. Right. But this movie, I really appreciate that this movie really leaned into the scale and you know epic themes that this character deserves. I mean, he's called Apocalypse for crying out loud. Um, and I just love watching him gather his four horsemen. And, you know, I think it's cool what they did with Storm. I think it's cool how he brings Magneto in. And, like, I know we were just joking about how Michael Fassbender's Magneto is just very, like, he, he goes through the same arc in every movie. But in this one, I feel like, I honestly like Magneto's arc in this movie more than First Class because it's it feels much more organic, you know? Like, yes, First Class, it fits. Like, you know, he... Even, you know, he's like, I agree with everything you said, but you killed my mom. You know, he's a victim of his environment, a product of his environment and a victim of his environment. But Apocalypse, like, it starts off with him like, you know what? He's like, I never really did give Charles, like, method a chance. I never did try to be just the peaceful face in the crowd. And he actually gives it a legitimate, genuine try. And how are his efforts rewarded? He saves a worker at the who, like, almost dies on the job. And they turn him into the cops, and they kill his wife and kid. It's like, yeah, I'd fucking hate people too if that happened to me. Um, it like it's much more organic, and there's just a lot like that scene when his when his wife and kid are killed. Like that that hits hard, and I I, I think I like Magneto. Like I think this one has the best Magneto story as far as the first class movies go, at least. Um, and I just, yeah, like I said, the, it has the best team. And that final act is awesome. Um, just the X-Men fighting the four horsemen. Um, as far as my gripes with this movie, I don't feel like the, I don't feel like the Wolverine cameo was really necessary. Um, especially since, like you said, Mike, it doesn't like, they don't do anything with the post, with the end of Days of Future Past when Mystique pulls them out of the, out of the ocean. Like they don't even yeah, see they just each other. Up ignore it. Yeah, and then also it's kind of creepy when like Jean like you know calms them down and everything with her powers. I'm just like, oh, God. the only thing I can think of is Logan waking up in the beginning of the first movie and just be like, hey, I remember you when you were a teenager. Let's kiss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, that's not only was that scene kind of not only was the Wolverine cameo kind of unnecessary. It just was kind of weird considering what we it know just, what comes it after. Was just- it was just forced fan service because they showed him in like the Weapon X outfit from the comics where he's got the helmet. Exactly. And, and the wires hanging off of him. Exactly. Yeah, that's all it was. Um, I also feel like we, we needed we needed a little bit more with, with Psylocke. Like we didn't really get enough for her to really develop. Um, kind of the same thing with Angel, although I feel like I wasn't really missing it as much, much with Angel. Um, I feel like we got enough with him. Like, I love that they made him like a, you know, he's a cage fighter. I love that they gave his wingtips, like those claw tips. So he's like scratching the hell out of people, like gouging the back of their heads out and everything. Like, and it was just cool seeing Archangel in a movie. Like, I I think that was really cool. Um, I wish they would have made his face blue. Yeah, that would have been cool. Um, And I also like, probably my biggest gripe with this movie as cool as Apocalypse is, he doesn't really do anything through the whole movie. And it's a shame because, like, 
it's really a movie of him almost doing stuff. And it's, it's, he's cool. Like he, and he's got some cool moments like that scene when he's like firing all the world's nukes straight into space. And he has that line where you can fire from the tower of Babel and still never hit God. That's some cool shit. But like, that's about where his cool shit begins and ends. Like he doesn't really do anything through the whole movie. And if the movie isn't blue balling you somewhere with him, it's blue balling you with something else. Like that scene when professor X, you know, invades apocalypse mind. And he's like, you want to see what I see? You're in my house now. And he just starts beating the shit off. I'm like, yeah, whoop his ass, Charles. And just for three seconds later for apocalypse to wipe the goddamn floor with him. Um, it just really, it just really fucking let the air out of my balloons, man. Um, so I feel like Apocalypse really needed either it really either needed to be two parts, like have the first part end with them like getting ready to fight the four horsemen, and the second part just be that entire battle, or it just needed to be a three hour long movie because I feel like I feel like trying to give Apocalypse more to do in this time span would have just made the movie too crunched. Um, so I feel like it just, it just needed more apocalypse needed to actually do something. He needed to actually like participate in stuff. And it's just such a shame because I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. And like this movie is so close to being an a that it is legitimately frustrating that it's not because there's just some minor tweaks would have just really made this movie fantastic. Like not just that a few minor tweaks would have made this the best X-Men movie in my opinion. Um, so, I mean, I got to give Apocalypse a, a solid, a very solid B. Go ahead, Mike. Okay, so, I know I sound like a, a broken record, but, like, I was so pumped for this movie before <laughs> it was coming out. Um, I, I was, I was just so excited for them to finally do Apocalypse, like, mm-hmm. I've been waiting to see him on the big screen like since childhood just because I I think he's one of the like everybody loves Magneto but like I I never saw Magneto as a villain like to me like Apocalypse is the ultimate X-Men villain Mm -hmm. like he's he's the end all be all and um, I, I I just really wanted to see like Brian Singer kind of embrace and like the other filmmakers, like embrace the more comic booky side of the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like that's where that, tr- this trilogy was starting to go because the first original trilogy was kind of a little more grounded, a little more dark looking. Mm-hmm. This, uh, this movie is like very, very colorful. Yeah. Like with apocalypse, there's the very strong like blues and like the, um, you know, the four horsemen, you have like Psylocke's like purple costume from the comics. Yeah. And like Archangel with like his like silver metal wings and all that shit. And, um, and just like this one, like, you know, the natural progression of each decade, like first class was the sixties days, of future past is the seventies and apocalypse is the eighties. And like the eighties was like a big time in the comics for X-Men and this movie, like just like oozes the eighties. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Just like even seeing like the street clothes of like the X-Men and stuff like that, like Cyclops and Jean and all them, like when they're, they're going to the movies and they're hanging out with Jubilee and stuff like that. I love all that stuff. I think, 
don't don't they go see Return of the Jedi? Yeah, yes. they do. It's Brian yes. Singer. Yeah, Brian Singer uses Return of the Jedi to dunk on the Last Stand, and it's kind of beautiful. Yeah, because he's like making fun of like he says how third parters are never the best, which is funny because Apocalypse, Apocalypse was the third movie. <laughs> I will say it's kind of lame that like Jubilee gets to hang out with the Mall crew, but she doesn't join them for the final battle. Yeah, yeah, like, and that's a kind of recurring thing. They kept having like cameos of Jubilee and like yeah. a bunch of the movies, but then she never does anything. Yeah, like this is the one where she does the most, but like after yeah, she goes the, to the mall. The mansion, <laughs> yeah, after the mansion blows up, she does nothing. Yeah. Wait, when is when else is she in it? The first one. She's in the. First she's in movie? the. She's in the first two original X Men movies. Yeah. Really? She's like a student. Yeah, she's a student, like, in the background. Yeah, it's like you blink and you miss it, but she's there. Oh, yeah. I had no idea she... Oh, okay. I had no idea. Yeah, they kept having, like, glorified cameos with her, but, like, they just kept not doing anything with her. But anyways, um, like you said, like, with the, the scenes with Magneto, Donnie, those are great scenes, mm-hmm. but, like the like I said, with I, I feel like those scenes are dampered down because of what they did to him in days of future past i think would have made those scenes more perfect is if like i said like once they you know saved him from the prison and like told him what was going to happen in the future like hey if we keep acting like this and let them do this like all this bad shit's going to happen i think if magneto had changed his ways and turned like completely good and then this happened it would have been even more of a gut punch. Yeah. Yeah. I, feel, I agree. Like I not, agree. like not have him like, you know, put on the Magneto suit and control like the Sentinels and be a bad guy and attack like Washington yeah. DC. Like, no, like if he was just a straight up good guy, like one of the X-Men, which is also a thing in like age of apocalypse. Um, and like, then he like, he settles down and has a family and then that happens to him. Like then it would have been like the ultimate gut punch. Cause still like Michael Fassbender's killing it. Like when he's holding like his dead daughter and he's mm-hmm. like, he's like, is this what you want from me? Is this all I'm good for? Or however he says it, like, that was great. Yeah. And, and, and how apocalypse plays on that. Like, yeah, that was, that was really good. And like how he, he brings them back to the concentration camp and like enhances his powers. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and, like, speaking of, uh, like I said, with Evan Peters, I actually think his scene where he saves everybody at the mansion trumps the previous scene. I mean, it's basically just the same scene, but I think they just they made it even better in this one. Like, I thought that this one was so funny, like him running around with, like, the food, and he's like, has the dog and stuff like that. Yeah. He's so I, he's so funny in the movie. Like I love when William Stryker like has them in prison, and he mm-hmm. he says something to him. Oh, he says, then, "Where where is Charles? Where is Magneto?" And Mystique's yeah. like, "We <laughs> don't know." And he goes, "We don't know, bro." <laughs> I love that. He's like, "We don't know, bro." And he, <laughs> he's a, he's great in this movie. Like he, I like when he, probably, when he wakes up in the cell and he sees Beast is all blue and fro. He's like, "Oh, what did you do to us? Is that gonna happen to us?" <laughs> Yeah, it's not gonna happen to us. He's yeah, like, like he—he's like, definitely the standout of this movie. Magneto, he's my father. What? He and my mom—they did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the funny thing is, even though they keep making jokes and like hints of that, they still don't really like address address that. <laughs> oh, don't worry, we'll talk about that. 
Yeah. But um, but uh, yeah, no, and like like I was saying earlier, they finally get to Cyclops, and um, what what's that actor's name? Ty Sheridan. Yeah. Ty Sheridan. I actually thought he he was a decent Cyclops. Mm-hmm. Could add a little more to do, but like the 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 groundwork was there. And um, I liked um Sophie Turner as uh, Jean Grey. Like I, she was from Game of Thrones. Like mm-hmm. I thought they were these were like really good setups for like a young Cyclops and Jean Grey, mm-hmm. and also like Storm because the, the I thought it was kind of cool that they introduced Storm as like a villain with the Four Horsemen. Yeah, I really like that they took liberties um, with the four with like who the Four Horsemen were in this movie. Yeah, and I was totally fine with that because the Four Horsemen in the comics are just random mutants that are just being introduced when they become become the horsemen except for like angel right angel's really the angel's really the only like well-known horseman right but like yeah i like i like how they kind of like took liberties and like they made like magneto storm and cyclops the other three and yeah i will say like yeah angel and psylocke are kind of just there they're just kind of just henchmen mm-hmm. and i wish they had a little more to do um, I thought that, I thought Olivia Munn was a really good choice for yeah Psylocke, but they just didn't do enough with her. Right. Um, but yeah, and I will say, um, I was talking to these guys before we started. I love Oscar Isaac. I think he's an amazing actor, but I, I just, I can't like looking back, I can't help but think that he might have been a little miscast. I just, I don't think he carries you know, the gravitas of like this, you know, this evil God, like being like, he just, he just doesn't, he doesn't have that like boom. And it's not like a size thing because I I love that they, you know, they went the practical way and did makeup and like, they didn't do like a CG character that was like the biggest, the Hulk or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I don't care about that. I don't know. He just, it's just his his presence and his voice like he just he just doesn't do it for me he's he's okay like he's not he's not bad it's not like oh not my apocalypse <laughs> like god that sounds like an emo song from the 2000s not my apocalypse <laughs> I love it. but uh but uh yeah he i feel, I feel like they could have gotten somebody else um i will say though like even like even though like he's the the titular character like his name is in the title and he's the main antagonist i feel like we don't know anything about him like he has all these crazy powers and like he's basically like a mutant god but it's like they show why he has those powers i'll give him that like they had the thing at the beginning of the movie in like ancient egypt how like he's like old and frail and then he hops to a new body which was like the oscar isaac body and they show like oh well he has like regeneration and now he wants to hop into charles's body because he's such a powerful telepath and i kind of thought it was kind of weird that that's the reason why charles xavier's bald i just thought like well well, you know he's an old guy and he lost his hair But yeah, I just love that. Like, we gotta have a scene that shows how Charles Xavier went bald. (laughs) (laughs) It's so so important to his character that he's bald. (laughs) And they, I know this. I thought it was funny. Like, 
they kept making like hair jokes. Like they make like the don't touch my hair joke and mm-hmm. first class. And then they kind of like just his look and uh days of future past is the exact opposite. It's like, Oh, he's got long hair and a beard. And it's just like, okay, yeah, we get it. Charles Xavier goes bald. Like it's not that big of a deal, but um, it's almost like they make like Charles is like baldness, like the equivalent to like Magneto's helmet. <laughs> it's like, Magneto's helmet has like significance, like it protects him from telepathy and stuff like that. Like it's like a plot device. Like being bald is just being bald. <laughs> yeah, well, well, without all that hair in the way, he's able to be an even more powerful telepath. Yeah, it's like his brain waves are stronger. But um, yeah, and I also like, even though I love, I love the cinematography and the way that like ancient Egypt scene is shot. It reminds me very much like Stargate and like I fucking love the movie Stargate. So it was like giving me Stargate vibes with like ancient alien shit and like I thought that was cool. But like they don't they don't delve into it enough. Like I just I want to know more. It's like all right, well like so Apocalypse jumps from like body to body, but like how did he start off? Like was he a mutant that just hops from body to body? Like, was he like, an, what's going on? Cause like in the comics, the reason he has like the whole suit with the futuristic tubes and shit is because he finds like, he's like a mutant in ancient Egypt that finds like celestial technology. I know you can't use the celestials cause like MCU and all that stuff. But, like they could have expanded on it more with like aliens and stuff like that. Which you know they're bringing aliens in the next movie, but we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just they just I feel like we didn't know enough about Apocalypse. Like he's just he's just baddie McBad guy, and like he has all these powers, but like I feel like they don't they don't show us like what his power. So they say why, but they don't show what. Like what all can he do? Like I feel like he just kind of like sand mummy power stuff and can like grow giant and all that. But, um, but I will say to me, like the, the, the ending of this movie, like the very end Mm -hmm. is perfect. Mm -hmm. Like the scene, the scene where like, uh, mystique like does her speech and like, she says like, Oh, you know, you're not, you're not kids anymore. You're X-Men. And like, we finally get to see, like, not counting the last stand, but we finally get to see, like, a legit danger room, like, even if it's only for a second. And you see, you see, like, all of them turn around, and, like, you get to see Cyclops, Jean Grey, Storm, Nightcrawler, like, in very, like, comic accurate suits. Like, mm-hmm. Cyclops is wearing, like, the blue with, like, the, the gold, like, sash. And, like, yeah, Nightcrawler's wearing, like, a red and black outfit. And it's, and you just see him like look at the wall and like the wall opens up and like fake like sentinels come out and just literally the final shot is professor X, like with the doors, like closing right in front of him. Ah, it's so good. Like that's, that was like, like to me, like that's where it should have ended because at that point, the modern X-Men were born there. So like you could have cut print, it's done. And also, I mean, um, it would have been even better to end there because it would have come full circle with the reference to the ending of the original movie when 
Charles and Eric are having that conversation. Like, does it ever keep you up at night? The thought of them coming here to take your children away from you. It does. Well, right. Yeah. What do you do? Well, I feel a great swell of pity for anybody who comes to my school looking for trouble. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they should, it should have just ended there, but, um, um, oh yeah. And then uh, there was another thing I wanted to bring up this movie. The, the days of future past is guilty of it too, but like, this movie, like on a negative, uh, one of my complaints. This movie, like, reeks of like Jennifer Lawrence popularity. Like you, you, you can tell. Like, I mean, she has an important part in First Class, but you can tell. Like, you know, this is when the Hunger Game movies were coming out. Like, they were like really like throwing Jennifer Lawrence down your throat. And I, I really like Jennifer Lawrence. I think she's an amazing actress, but like they were really like pushing mystique. Like they kept saying the thing, like, like when they go to like the fight club where like Nightcrawler and Angel is, and they're like, Oh, she's the, what, what did they say? Like, Oh, the she's like the savior, yeah. the hero or the savior. And it's just like, it's like, I don't fucking give a shit about mystique, man. <laughs> like, I just want to see the X-Men. Like, I don't know. I like that. They gave mystique more to do, but it kind of got to the point where like, they were giving her too much to do. Like, especially when characters like Psylocke and Angel, like get nothing. Mm -hmm. And like Mystique is getting too much just because of the actor who's playing her. And you can tell very much at this point, like Jennifer Lawrence is starting to get to the points where she wants out of the franchise. Cause I feel like her acting like kind of gets a little worse each movie, but yeah, but that's just a little nitpick for me. Um, but overall, this movie, I would give it a B. It's like a B, B minus for me. Definitely the third best of this quadrilogy. All right, Blake, your turn. Yeah, um, I think this movie gets way too much flack. Um, it's just, it, it, it definitely, it definitely has its flaws. It definitely has things that could have been better. Um, but like Days of Future Past, Days of Future Pla Days of Future Past had plenty of stuff that could have been better. But that was overall accepted, and not just accepted; it was praised. Like that as a that's like certified fresh in the '90s, like ninety some percent, and like it made you know two hundred million more dollars than this. And then by the time this movie came out, I feel like it got Amazing Spider-Man 2'd, where a lot of people were just yeah. being pissy. A lot of people were just being pissy pricks because it wasn't officially in the MCU. Mm -hmm. And it's just like that didn't piss you off two years ago. Why are you upset about it now? Um, and it's like just give it a fair chance. Like just enjoy it for what it is. And like I think this movie is basically just a two and a half hour live action episode of the 90s cartoon in fact it's better because it does a better job with apocalypse yeah um i think i think i mean i understand what you're trying to say michael where you know but i i think it just didn't want to dilly dally like it kept i think it, it gave you a little bit more about apocalypse like it made you understand what he thinks he is and what his what his attitude and personality is but it also kept some mystery there like it didn't want to spoil the, the mystery of it um, but yeah, no, I, I think Apocalypse's plan in this movie is absolutely terrifying where like he wants to be everybody all at once. And it's like, that's scary as shit. And it's like, that's what Apocalypse should be. He should be scary. And, um, 
I mean, I'm sure somewhere out there they could have gotten somebody that nailed the part a little bit better, but that that's almost every role. Like no matter what, like, you know, this person could have played it well, or that person could have played it well. And I think who they landed on, I, I think he did a great job. I love them. Even if there are times where he sounds like, what if Winnie the Pooh was an edgelord? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like when it's not, doing- I, don't you're, you're like, I don't think you're helping your argument saying that. <laughs> Just, when he's not doing the echo, when he's not doing the echo yell or whatever, there's just li- little moments where he's like, "We will cleanse this world." <laughs> oh bother! And then, and then there are other parts where it sounds like he and Charles Xavier are trying to have a competition of who can sound more like Lord Voldemort. Where <laughs> like Apocalypse is yelling, and then you have Charles being like, "Gene, release your power!" <laughs> Christ, he sounds like Ray Fiennes when he's like trying to kill Daniel Radcliffe. Um, <laughs> but no, it's just like, guess what? They didn't make him CGI. And you know what? For that, I want to give these people a fist bump. Like, mad respect for that shit. Um, they, they didn't make him CGI. They didn't do some motion capture bullshit. They go, no, we're going to make a real suit and we're going to paint his face. And it's like, Wow what a concept <laughs> like, and i think it fit, i think it fit well with like the ancient egypt aspect of it like th- the way they meshed what apocalypse looks like with like you know ancient egypt like i thought that was awesome mm-hmm. and um i guess my only gripe with him other than <laughs> his voice at times is like and i know this sounds superficial it sounds petty but like he he could have been a little bit taller like when he Boo. Was, when he what i'm sorry like when he assembles his horsemen he's like the shortest one there and and you know but i do like how apocalypse himself is very superficial where it's like hold up now that you're my horseman before we do our plan i need to make your outfits look fucking sick (laughs) he's making he's making his like retro boy band or whatever (laughs) hair metal it's like oh man you you guys are gonna look so dope (laughs) i mean that's pretty much what he does in the comics when he makes angel archangel (laughs) yeah he's just like slowly having his hand go over archangel he's like yeah yeah it's fucking tight I love that. And, um, but no, like, I loved the Hugh Jackman cameo in First Class. Um, but this one, this is perhaps my favorite use of the F bomb in a PG 13 movie because it's just, it relieves all that tension and stuff in which people can use that against it. But I just love that. Like, Magneto is like about ready to kill those people. The portal opens up. He turns around. It's just silent. There's this pause. You don't know what he's going to say or what's going to happen. Then finally, Michael Fassbender just goes, who the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, that was I, a good one. I love it. Just, but he says it in his accent, like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's great. It's great. Um, and, um, yeah, like, it's pretty sad how in this one movie, Ty Sheeran got more to do with Cyclops than James Marsden. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, I liked him. I thought he did a good job, and I like him as an actor, and I like Sophie Turner's Jean Grey. I, I especially love their little moment where he finally gets his his glasses, which I think that was a nice touch on. It's like they're just Ray-Bans that are like modified with like the rose crystal or whatever. I don't know. Ruby but, Quartz. Ruby Quartz. Ru- yes, yes. 
but he um and he goes over to Jean Grey to like kind of break the ice and mm-hmm. you know um and just just their little their little moments with each other their little chemistry I'm like oh they love each other I love <laughs> <No> it kiss <laughs> but no I love that <laughs> I thought it was very nice and I especially love where Nightcrawler's like oh I want to see what America's like and yeah it's like well, Scott just goes and you're not gonna get it from here the only the only <laughs> think american about this house is that it used to be british (laughs) (laughs) which um, i i forgot to i love nightcrawler in this in this movie oh he's awesome and and, like they got now this is a guy for the age the age range they wanted to go for they got the perfect kid to play him in this yeah um i love that he's kind of wearing like a michael jackson outfit like in their street clothes yeah (laughs) yeah i love it i love it but no, I, I thought it did the '80s era very well, um, and uh, but no, like you know, some good powerful scenes, like the stuff with Magneto, and and it was good. Um, the uh, the the Wolverine cameo, I know a lot of people are very nostalgic for that Weapon X outfit. It, for me, it always kind of tickled me because he's basically wearing that thing that Rick Moranis wore in the first Ghostbusters when they're doing Hapsol. <laughs> <laughs> yes, have some. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, yes, have some. <laughs> I just think Vince that, the Keymaster Gozer. <laughs> I, I just, think, I just think of the uh, the guy on the chariot, like, what an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you a parachute but no, like to your to your point, Donnie, where like people, this movie was never going to get a fair shake for whatever reason. Like even before they saw it, yeah. Um, and it's just like they were complaining about what Psylocke looked like, and they go, "That looks like cosplay." And I'm like, Psylocke's "That's what Psylocke, outfit, yeah." Psylocke's outfit—that is probably the most comic book accurate outfit I've ever seen in a superhero movie. Yeah. Now, granted, granted. The, the original illustration itself is not that complex of an outfit. She's basically in a Victoria's Secret purple thing. Yeah. But like, yeah she's just in like a purple one piece. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, Psylocke's outfit looks terrible. It's like, what the fuck do you people want from this movie? Um, But yeah, but when I saw her in that, I was like, behold, the easiest cosplay you can ever do at Comic-Con. Yeah. But I, I thought it worked. I thought it worked. And um, I think... Above all else, more than anything else, this is the most fun X-Men movie. We're like, first class, you know, was 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 a good blend. And Days of Future Past went for more, like, philosophical, like, you know, plot-driven stuff. But it, it has, it, the final act in Days of Future Past is just not satisfying enough. Um, the final act in this one, like, Brian Singer tried to deliver the goods to his credit and or you know simon kinberg when he would step in but we'll get into that in the next movie but yeah i i just felt like this was the x-men movie that was just trying to tell us i just want you guys to have a good time i just want you to have some fun um i think the way i look at it is it's like the indiana jones adventures like i acknowledge raiders of the lost ark as the best one in the series but the last crusade is my personal favorite and with this, like, Apocalypse is kind of my personal favorite, just because, once again, not to beat a dead horse, not to beat the same drum, but it's just the one I have the most fun with. Like, it's it's good. It, it's, I think each thing, and yeah, I prefer the Quicksilver um, segment in this movie over Days of Future Past. When he shows up, like, because th- there's, that, there's that tension of, like, Charles getting abducted, 
Havoc blowing up the the X-Jet. And it's just like, holy shit, what's going to happen? And then by the fourth or fifth second of that B being frozen, I was just like, oh, hell yeah. And he just, <laughs> he just walks on. He just walks into frame and is doing sweet dreams. And he's having the twink and he's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, it's it's just a damn fun movie. And when, you know, there's other movies where when I when I get when I get done them, I'm like, you know, why did people love that so much? But with this movie, I'm like, why did you all hate this so much? Like, was it really that bad? I just remember the early reviews calling it a franchise ending disaster. And it's like, where was the disaster? Yeah. Again, I have some notes. There's some stuff that could have been tweaked. But again, like, I think what we got was was pretty fun. And I'm going to try to wrap it up right here, Mike, to to, you know, repeat you. The last scene of this movie is perfect. It is a chef's kiss. They should have just ended it there. Um, yeah, no. Yeah. And it, and I guess not to do a fast forward, but like with the next movie, I'm like, why aren't you wearing the outfits you had in the last scene of apocalypse? Like, what was the point of that? Um, but yeah, no, I, I will give X-Men apocalypse a B, whether it's your favorite one, whether you think it's one of the better ones. Um, I think it is the most underrated X-Men movie and I give it a B solid B. Big old B. All right, well, let's move on to the last movie of the evening, X-Men Dark Phoenix. Oh, fuck. So this was the other X-Men movie I watched for the first time this week. Um, and you know what? I I went in hearing you know all the trash reviews about it since it came out, and especially from you, Blake, as you watched it for the first time this last week and hearing just not good things from you. And I went in just like, all right, how much of a train wreck is this going to be? And you know what? I got like a half hour in. I'm like, okay, I'm not hating the movie, but it's still early. And I'm getting an hour into the movie. And I'm like, yo, is this going to be another moment like Last Jedi where I end up liking this movie and people think I'm retarded? Um, Because not only am I not (laughs) hating this movie, I'm actually kind of enjoying it like an hour in. I'm like, I'm not seeing anything bad yet. I'm like, they're actually building up Gene as a character. The Dark Phoenix is actually taking center stage and doing things and is the focus, unlike Last Stand. I'm like, yo, so far this movie's hitting all the marks. Like, all right. And then the aliens started doing their thing, whatever their thing was. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the final third of the movie happened. And it, all that goodwill got sucked right out of me. Um... The final act of this movie really, truly feels like Simon Kinberg got confused and fucked his dad. (laughs) Because, legitimately... There there you go, Donnie. Even uh, someone who's not in on it loves it. Like, legit. I would argue the first half, maybe even first two-thirds of this movie is legitimately good. It's doing everything right. And then it just feels like with that final chunk, they just want to be like, all right, how can we fuck everything over in record time? And not just for this movie, for everything that came before it. Because the aliens, the dime store Groot looking motherfuckers, (laughs) 
what are they? Who are they? What's their deal? We don't know. And they give you an idea of how bad this is, and it's not just me. Jessica Chastain didn't know her character's name until she saw the movie. What the fuck? <laughs> and the final quote-unquote fight in this movie is the cinematic equivalent to a final boss fight in a video game being entirely quick-time events. Like, she blows up yeah. a bunch of aliens, and then they have the che- this cheesy fucking line, your emotions make you weak, flies the alien into space, uh they make me strong, and then they both blow up. Huh? <laughs> Why did Gene like it? Also, doesn't. Why did Gene blow up? I don't. I don't understand what happened here, and it's just it's so frustrating. Like how this movie went so south in record time, <laughs> because like I said, like beginning up until that final act, like I'm like okay, like I I it, I had some you know complaints. Like first off, I don't like that Mystique and Charles are still fucking having the same argument over and over again in this movie. I'm like, you guys are four movies in, 30 years later. Like, I feel like having this same argument just really undermines all of your development as characters and as, like, your relationship amongst each other. Um, I feel like Magneto is a part of this movie as an obligation. Like, I feel like he's just there because they felt like he had to be. Um, I... Also, just, on the one hand, I kind of like that there's, like, the idea of Charles always looking out for the greater good, but then, like, not realizing that that can cause problems with, you know, that that can cause sacrifices on the uh, end of individualism. But then there's moments where it just kind of feels like Charles was just kind of a dick. (laughs) Like, other than that, though, before that final act, I'm like, okay, you know, like I like Jean's backstory. I like that, you know, she's actually doing stuff. I like that I'm actually, you know, given stuff to care about with her as a character. Um, and I like that the Phoenix is actually doing things and is actually a force to be feared. But then I, I also like started like after that final act when everything just went wrong, I also started looking back to everything that came before it. First off, the ending to this movie completely contradicts the ending to Days of Future Past, which is annoying because that ending is amazing. Um, and then also, Apocalypse hints at the Phoenix. Like, Jean makes the Firebird when she fights Apocalypse. Did we need this whole shit with the solar flare and the weird-ass aliens chasing after it? I don't... Did we really need it? What was the point of it? And yeah, just, they they just, they just totally ignore how she created the Firebird and Apocalypse. But then there's the whole Phoenix Force in space. It's like it's like all you got to do is just take two hours out of your time to watch the previous movie, right? And it's just that final act just really straight up murdered any bit of goodwill that I was getting from this movie beforehand. Sorry to butt in, but like it it's. It's double worse because Simon Kinberg co-wrote the screenplays for the other films, too. Exactly. It's just, I don't know what went wrong with that final act. I don't know what happened. Maybe he did actually fuck his dad. I don't know. But... <laughs> I have never... may never know. I have never seen a movie do a complete 180 
as fast as this one did. And, like, it legit gave me fucking whiplash. <laughs> because the second they got on that train at the end of the movie, when they're all in the, you know, the power-inhibiting colors and everything, I just got this feeling of, like, wow, something bad is going on right now. <laughs> and I don't mean bad as in the situation they're in. I mean, like, I'm suddenly not having fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and just... Why did we need the aliens? It it commits the same mistake that the fucking Last Stand made. Which, again, Simon Kinberg was a part of that movie. He got the ultimate mulligan, and he fucked it up. If you are going to do a movie with the Dark Phoenix, make the Phoenix the villain. We don't need a second villain. Let the Phoenix be the villain. And, like, it's it's bad enough, because I feel like even before... You know, we started hearing about Disney buying Fox. We knew this was going to be the last X-Men movie, at least with this crew. And to just think that, like, you ended it like that? (laughs) God damn, man. Like, I was really, like, I've been pondering for the past couple days where I would put this movie. And I'm still kind of struggling with it. Like, like I said, that first two-thirds is a solid movie. Like, I would recommend, if you're watching this movie, the second they get on the train, just turn the movie off and just tell yourself, they all died. (laughs) It's less less traumatic that way. Um, (laughs) But that final act just really absolutely kills everything good that this movie was doing. I don't agree with this movie being the lowest rated movie in the franchise. Like, it's at a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't agree with that. I would still much rather watch this over The Last Stand. So, I gotta give The Dark Phoenix a D. It is it is a very blatant, obvious D. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. Um, <laughs> so, uh, this movie sucks balls. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just throw that out there. I'm, I'm um, officially in Michael's corner right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, I just don't, and I, I understand like Brian Singer brought Simon Kimber back and like, I think with Brian Singer, he does a fine job, but you know, giving the keys to, you know, the final X-Men movie to Simon Kimberg alone was a very, very, very bad decision. And you could just tell the 20th Century Fox just didn't give a shit anymore because they knew they were getting bought out. So they're like, yeah, fuck it. Do whatever the fuck you want. And I like, think that no and, I, and I think that's that's probably the if not the biggest, it's definitely a big reason why I don't give this movie a straight out F because I got to place some blame on the studio because like you said, like they knew, like they were taught, they were talking with Disney back in 2017. And while Disney wasn't in a position to make decisions themselves, you know, that had to influence the production to some degree. Right. And I don't know, just, this movie, there's just, there, like with, I was saying to Blake before with this, because he was, he was kind of like texting me as he was watching it. 
there's just something to me there's just something off from this movie from the get-go the it's the it's the tone and like the cinematography the cinema the, some of the cinematography in this movie it's not that it looks like cheap or anything it's just it's kind of dull like like you you know coming from apocalypse that is like this very larger than life story and super colorful like all the like color and life is just drained out of this movie they go from like like we were talking about how that that final scene in apocalypse is just like like there's the x-men like they're wearing like very comic book accurate costumes mm-hmm. to just wearing like like sweatshirt material windbreakers that are like a plain blue with like regular yellow X's on them and just like regular pants. Like, uh, it's such a downgrade. Like, like I was so disgusted when I saw those, like they were just such a major downgrade. And another big thing, like a big thing with this whole quadrilogy is kind of like representing the time it takes place in Mm -hmm. like, first class there's stuff with the 60s throughout the whole thing you know days of future past the 70s like they show shit from like the vietnam war um apocalypse was very much in the 80s like like all the like pop culture stuff and their outfits and all the bright colors like this movie like is supposed to be in the 90s and you would not know it at all like if you didn't watch the previous movies and just like you took someone and sat them down and this is the first of these X-Men movies they ever saw, like you would not know it's the nineties. Like it just looks like regular old plain boring today. Like there's, there's nothing from the nineties in this. And that's a damn shame because that's a huge missed opportunity because the nineties was very much the X-Men's heyday. Renaissance. Like that was the, the of the books. Yeah, that was the X-Men's like most popular era because you you had when X-Men went back to issue number 1 and it's the to this day still the highest selling comic book of all time. And it's also when the animated series came out. And that's the most popular uh media that the X-Men has ever been released in was the animated series. Like like anybody who just just any Joe Schmo who hasn't read a comic like knows the X-Men cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they really they really dropped the ball on that. But yeah, like you said, with studio interference, like they just didn't give a shit. Um, the plot, it just it's kind of I just I just you just you just feel that like nobody gives a shit. Like like nobody was like putting in their a game for this. Like it was kind of one of those things like Jennifer Lawrence pieced everybody... out the first chance she got. <laughs> yeah. Like you could just feel like everybody knows like they're getting laid off or whatever. So yeah. like, eh, whatever. like it wasn't kind of like, like, Oh, this is the last movie. So, you know, we got to go out with a bang. Like it very much went out with a whimper. And it's really sad because like, so like the people, some of the newer people they introduced in the previous movie, like, like the actors for Cyclops and Gene and Storm and Nightcrawler were all really likable, but they're just not give it. They just don't have enough to do. And I will say, I like that they, they, even though it doesn't make sense with the continuity, 
I do like they did the whole thing where they went into space and the Phoenix Force came from outer space. Uh, I like that they did that. I was like, okay, that's from the comics. Um, the villains were, yeah, the the other villains, whatever they are, uh, <laughs> I guess they're supposed to be like a cross between the scrolls because they shapeshift in the Shi'ar Empire. I don't Mainly know. The, the movie Shi'ar doesn't Empire. tell you. <laughs> Yeah, they don't. They don't say who they are, and um, but I, but the role I guess is kind of the Shi'ar Empire because in the comics they were involved with like the Dark Phoenix saga and like they were like the alien empire that the X Men always fought. But like, yeah, they just they don't. My thing is, these whole movies, there's only just been humans and mutants, and to go and like introduce aliens for the first time. In the fourth movie of the prequels, like that's a big ball drop. Like you need to add a little more context to that. Show show a little more. If you're gonna like throw aliens into the picture, you need to have a little more backstory with them. Like you just don't throw them in and just like, oh, these are the bad guys and they want the phoenix powers. Like that's (laughs) that's not good enough. Like that's like watching. That's like if they made like a fourth Lord of the Rings movie and like. Barney like shows up and it's like going after Frodo. Like it doesn't make any fucking sense. You gotta give me a little context. Well, why is he here? Oh, give us the precious they... Frodo. <laughs> it's like where did they come from? <laughs> it's like I don't know. It's just it was a little much. Um, and just I don't know, like. If, if the MCU, which if and when, which they will, like bring back the X-Men, I, I don't think they should do the Dark Phoenix saga anymore. Like, I think at this point it's kind of jinxed. I think they should just kind of skip it. Or at the very like, least, don't just, do it for a very long time. Yeah, like just if there's something with it. Like, and I get it. Like, I get it. It's a pivotal moment in the comics. Like, Jean Grey, you know, a beloved member of the team, like, turns evil against her will, and the big thing is the shocking thing, how, like, she kills herself to, like, stop it and stuff, but, like, I'm not trying to sound mean to, like, comic book purists, but, like, is there really that much there? Like, I feel like there's tons of X-Men stories that we could just do otherwise. Like, I I think at this point, like, the, the Dark Phoenix saga just needs to stay in the comics and stay off the big screen. Um, I know that might be X-Men heresy, but like, I don't know. I, I just think it's jinxed. Um, and, and speaking of like the, the final scene, like how the final scene apparently was going to be different, but the, the whole train sequence was a, was a bunch of reshoots. Cause apparently the ending was too similar to Captain Marvel's ending. I'm not sure how that went, but, um, just that, that final fight scene, on the train. I mean, it's choreographed well, but like, I feel like to go from like fighting apocalypse and having this huge epic battle where the fate of the world's at stake to like just kind of a run of the mill action scene on a train. And I also, it's just such a, it's such a downgrade. Not only that, I also really hate during that scene when like Charles and Jean have that like psychic moment where, She's just like, I understand you did what you did out of love. I forgive you. It's like, bitch, he's been trying to tell you that for 40 fucking minutes. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like... They, and she just they, forgives him after, like, all the shit. It's like, bitch, like... 
Yeah, and just they, I don't know. They for for that to be like the end, it's like that's it. And then like yeah, Jean Grey like does she? I don't even remember. Does she blow up? Or she just disappear? blows up. She just blows up. Yeah, she blows that's up. Why? She blows up. And then it's just it just has this kind of like nonchalant scene of you know Charles and Magneto playing chess, which is fine, you know that's their thing. But you know they're just out like they're like outside of a restaurant or some shit. Yeah. And like it's just like kind of this nonchalant thing. Oh you know, well, not Charles Xavier. No, I'm Magneto. Ho oh, you. You know, you know. <laughs> will things ever get better? Oh, who the fuck knows? Our franchise is over, and then it just ends. Like. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, it's just uh it's like this movie's like nails on a chalkboard and it's just what a way to like flush it down the drain and i know it's it's not all simon kimbert's fault it's not the actor's fault it's really much the state of when this movie was being made but yeah cuz i was but, reading you know, i was reading some stuff that simon kimbert said he wanted to do with the movie but like fox shot him down every time and like reading the stuff he wanted to do, I'm like, damn, that probably would have actually turned out better. Yeah, yeah, and just in hindsight, like if if they knew they were being bought out, like they should have just canceled this movie. I don't know, we would have thought of like, oh, what could have been and whatever, but yeah. hindsight's 2020, and it should have just ended at apocalypse. So it's for a movie that I think shouldn't exist, like it it deserves an F for me. <laughs> All right, Blake close. That's our first F of this ranking so far. So, uh, close us out, Blake. Well then get ready for another one. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. Good night. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, <gasps> I, I want to be able to, you know, add my own take and context too, but I, I almost second everything Michael just said. Um, and, like, I understand where you're coming from, Donnie. In fact, it's kind of surreal. Like, I feel like usually I feel like you're being too hard on a movie. So it's kind of weird to, like, be in this this experience where I feel like you're being too soft on a movie. Or at least, like, the first two-thirds of a movie. Well, it was um, bound to happen, I guess. Yeah. And it's just, like, I understand what you're saying. I, like, it starts out, like, it, it's trying to go for a, a much more straightforward and serious approach. But, like... It just doesn't fit the the three movies that come right before it. Like, I mean, my thing is, I feel like it's tell it's trying to tell a different story. Like, I get what you guys are saying about the mood and everything, especially when you compare it to what came before. But for a Dark Phoenix story, I think the mood is spot on. I just, it's just weird to think that this takes place not only in the same universe, not only in the same timeline with the exact same people that are in first class and especially apocalypse. It's like what Michael said, like we go from like the ending of apocalypse is like a very uplifting ending almost because they not only avoided a dark, a dark future of, you know, robot overlords. They also avoid a literal apocalypse with an ancient evil God. But then when this movie opens, they're all still like depressed or like just, just in a bad mood. I think also a problem is, you know, in timeline, this is 30 years after first class, but nobody looks a day older. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an issue that like just all the movies have now in retrospect. It's like, so I guess part of of the, they should have started aging him at least at the third movie. 
Yeah. Like, I guess part of the mutant X gene is that it, you, you, you don't age, I guess. I mean, like, because Michael Fassbender definitely looks older compared to how he did in first class. But, like, yeah. still, like, um, who's the guy that plays Beast? Um, Nicholas Holt. He looks exactly the same. Yeah. Like, he, it's like three yeah. years later. It's like, damn, boy, like, give me your skincare routine. <laughs> James um, McAvoy actually looks younger after he went bald. Yeah. Yeah, which is actually yeah. Um, it's like they, they should have they should have at least like like you know gave Nicholas Holt like a couple wrinkles and like gave like Magneto gray hair. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, they just randomly give him that patchy facial hair. Yeah. Um, but anyway, 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 since it is my turn, um, <laughs> I complain about it being my turn, and then I'm about to invoke you, Donnie. Um, one complaint you had about the last stand is there's a lot of moments where people are acting out of character. Woof. Like fucking Hank McCoy is just totally ready to murder Jean Grey. Like, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> like, I thought that that was like extremely out of character. Basically, like how I feel about this movie is it commits almost every sin the last stand made, but it's worse. Um, the only thing, the only thing this movie does that is better than The Last Stand is that Cyclops is there the whole time. Like, Scott is along for the ride the whole time. But even then, it's like, he's just kind of there. I mean, at least he is there, but he's just kind of there. And, um, I mean, it feels like the budget was cut. And again, like, you can barely tell it's the 90s. This movie benches Quicksilver. Like, I, can't, I feel yeah. like this movie... I feel like this movie kept kicking itself in the nuts the whole time. Like it benches one of the best additions and differences of this timeline is like the, the inclusion of Quicksilver. It's like, Oh yeah, let's just have him get injured. And he's not in the rest of the movie. And he never gets to tell Magneto that he's his son. Um, which yikes. Yeah. They, they, that's what I, that's one thing I forgot to mention with how like, when I started like looking at how this movie fucked up itself, but then how it fucked up everything that came before it, there's just stuff they like picked up and never ran with. Like yeah. they go through all the trouble of having Charles reunite with Moira McTaggart in Apocalypse. She's not in this movie at all. They don't they don't tie up yeah. Quicksilver being Magneto's son. Like there's just a lot of plot threads they just don't pick up and run with. It straight up contradicts the ending of future, Days of Future Past. Like. Yeah. Like I said, if you ever watch this movie, just turn it off before the final act and just be like, eh, they all died. I, I say don't even watch it. I'm I'm probably never gonna rewatch this movie. I'm just gonna try to keep telling myself that Apocalypse was the true ending. Um I mean I do understand the logic of why Simon Kinberg was here. Like if they had to make this movie at all with these people as these characters, if they had to make a quote sequel to x-men apocalypse and brian singer didn't come back but i think this was because the muck around brian singer was just so thick that like they couldn't avoid it or ignore it anymore um i do understand the logic of simon kinberg which is like yes he did let's just get the last stand out of the way yes he did co-write the last stand but he was one of two writers on the last stand and not to encourage him throwing the other guy under the bus but he is able to be like, hey, I only wrote half of it. So, like, he can kind of dodge that one. But with this one, like, he was a producer since First Class. And he co-wrote Days of Future Past and Apocalypse. 
And apparently Brian Singer started this habit, this trend um, where he would like disappear from set and they didn't know where he was. Like when he made um, Bohemian Rhapsody, if anybody actually remembers that he was technically the director of that movie, because they never mentioned it again, um, he would straight up disappear from set. And like it got to a point where the guy playing Freddie Mercury, Rami Malek, he wanted to like get in a fist fight with him because he was pissing him off so much. And apparently Oscar Isaac didn't get along with Brian Singer a lot. So when Brian Singer would like, I guess, fuck on off to his like trailer or his hotel room and do God knows what, like Simon Kidberg would step in and basically play substitute teacher. And he already knew these actors and they got along with them. And like Simon Kinberg seems like a good person. He seems like a nice guy. He doesn't seem like an asshole politically judging by like what he posts and who's he's endorsed and on his Instagram. I know that doesn't make, you know, a director, but still he seems like a good soul, but he just was not the man for the job, I guess, even if his decision, the decision to have him be the one to take this over was somewhat logical, somewhat reasonable. I guess it worked better than getting, another person that had nothing to do with any of these people ever before like Brett Ratner. But yeah, I mean, it's just, he just got confused and fucked his dad. (laughs) But then like (laughs) the aliens, uh, amen to what Michael said. It's like, this is the, this is not only the fourth movie of this timeline. This is the last movie of a 20 year legacy of 10 films. And you're just randomly going to tell us that aliens exist in this universe. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, hold on, pause. Like, can we spend a couple more minutes on this shit? (laughs) I I will say though, the the introduction of the aliens is a rather effective scene. Like when, when Jessica Chastain, when she, when her, I guess her shell, her flesh was human. She bumps into it in like the woods in the middle of the night and then they like crash that dinner party or whatever. And you just hear all the dinner guests and friends like gasping in horror. And like, I think that's effective. It just feels like it's from a whole other movie, not an X-Men movie. Like it mm-hmm. feels like it's from yeah. a sequel. It feels like it's from a sequel to M. Night Shyamalan Signs. Um, yeah. That, that, their alien forms remind me of the aliens and signs. Yeah. So again, like, I just want to. I just. I just feel like I'm going to see like Joaquin in the background. Vomitos, children. Vomitos. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, he like, sees Jessica Chastain walk by. <laughs> <laughs> so their introduction was effective. Like it was creepy. It was creepy when you first meet them, but then like immediately you have the thought, oh, th- there's aliens in this, and then they don't say who they are. Why they're there? Well, I mean, they say our our world died, and we need to harness this power. And they're evil aliens. They're mean. They don't give a shit what happens to humans. They, they don't care. They're they're like ants to them. And I'm like, oh Jesus Christ! You make them like the evil aliens and any other thing. Yeah. Um, it's just like, are they the Shi'ar Empire? Like, it's just. And I guess what you said, Donnie, is like Simon Kimberg had other ideas to do. You'll have to send me what he what else he wanted to do. I didn't get to research that, but yeah, that was a big problem I was going to have with him. But I guess I'll have it with the studio. It's like this is the finale to your twenty year legacy, nineteen to be exact, but still ten films, almost twenty years, and this is how you're ending it. Like, dare to dream, as you would say, Donnie. Like, 
And then they, they, they totally tease you with, oh, yeah, in this movie, the X-Men go to space. They go a few miles outside the outer atmosphere in the prologue, and that's it. Like, fucking Jeff Bezos was in space longer than these guys. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, I thought, I thought, I thought they were going to get teleported to, like, the massive super space station of an alien empire, and it was going to be a giant breakout heist film, and... I don't know. God, do that crystal thing from the cartoon, and that's why the Phoenix does her shit. Just, it's just, it felt like the budget was cut. It felt like they weren't allowed to make it over two hours long, which I know it's weird for me to complain that a movie I already don't like <laughs> is short instead of being longer. But it's like, you know, it, it suffers the opposite problem of The Last Stand, which is they shoehorn in the fact that it is the finale of a trilogy. In this case, they didn't understand the assignment. Like, yo, the clock's ticking. Tick tock. You're never going to make another movie with these people in this timeline ever again. Like, this is the last time we'll get James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, most likely. But it's like, this is the end of not just the first class uh, subseries. It's the entire 20th Century Fox legacy of X-Men, the first superhero franchise of the new millennium. And this is the page you end it on. This is the note you leave it on. It's it's an F. It's an F. I mean, I can go on and on for the rest of this hour, but I feel like I've made my point. It is the worst X-Men movie because it fails to understand that it is the last X-Men movie of, of these films. And that's disappointing. It's a bummer. It's a downer. It's moody. It just, it's... I need to shut up. So yeah, it's enough. <laughs> Which you were talking about the Shi'ar Empire a lot. Like to give you, and I, I like one of the things Simon Simon Kinberg wanted to do the Shi'ar Empire. Um, he one of the things he said was if he had been allowed, to, if he had been allowed to, he would have done a four hour movie with the Hellfire Club and the Shi'ar Empire. And I mean four hours, that's a tall order. But I think with all that stuff going on, it probably would have carried it. And I think he also wanted to make it a two-parter like Infinity War and Endgame. He did because he wanted the first. He said he wanted the first part to be all about like making the audience fall in love with Jean Grey, and then the second part was going to be quote unquote where she breaks your heart. Yeah, and it's like, why? Like, I, then I guess I guess he wasn't the sole problem. I guess maybe he just had. A, I mean, I still blame the the alien the aliens on him because like. Then he should have cut him out entirely. Yeah. Yeah, not not like, try to yeah. do like not try to do like a watered down version of whatever. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, you know, 20th Century Fox. Like, why didn't you want to go out with a bang? Like, you know, why, you know, this? Why didn't you want to do like, you know, an Endgame but for X Men? Like, whew, so, so they want to sabotage their successor. Be like, yeah, try try using your property after this stinker. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 disappointing. It's disappointing because if they had made a hyper 1990s finale of the X-Men, that should have been the best X-Men movie ever. That shit should have slapped. And it's just who it, it he was given the ultimate mulligan and he not only missed the ball, he pissed in the wind. Um, <laughs> he fucked his dad. <laughs> He's going to hear this and be like, what is your problem with my dad? <laughs> I don't know. What's your problem? Why'd you fuck him? It is, 
Simon Kinberg, <laughs> if you ever hear this, I'm sure you're a nice guy. Um, please hire me. I'm poor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just don't fuck me. <laughs> um, I don't care how confused you are. I mean, yeah, I don't mean to beat a dead horse. I don't mean to talk in circles, but I just, I just wish we had a, a better ending for X Men, a better finale. You know, one last hurrah. They, <laughs> one last they, ride. No, yeah. Instead of going for Man. one last hurrah, it just, it went out with a whimper. It, it was like, it was like a, <laughs> it was like a fart in the way out in church. <laughs> 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 Uh, like in uh, Shawshank, he's gone like a fart in the wind. Yeah, yeah, and um, but no, I and I agree with what Michael said. Where it's like, don't even try to do the Dark Phoenix for a long, long, long time. I'm talking like the difference between Michael Keaton's first Batman movie and Robert Pattinson's Batman movie. Like, go <laughs> that long without doing it. And I think I think Apocalypse did the Dark Phoenix well. It's like it referenced it. It was like, oh yeah, that's Gene's superpower that they need to get an edge on Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I was fine with that. I was fine with that. But then them doing her like no more Mrs. Nice Girl, like yeah, and she blows up. <laughs> and she, she blows, blows up. up. Like, that? The, the, yeah, in the last, the last. The last fight scene in this, the final battle where, you know, she takes Jessica Chastain up in space, that sucks. Yeah. Shit, like, oh, God. Like, that was – the way I feel about this movie is the way you feel about The Last Jedi, Donnie. Or um, not The Last Jedi, The, the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I gave it a D, not an A+. Plus. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, how fitting, how fitting that this movie – the ending of this movie is just a literal train wreck. So that's that's where I leave yeah. it. I'm shutting up for real. If you guys have a have a have another comment or two, go ahead. I'm done. No, I got nothing. It fucking sucks, dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that glorious Men's articulated asses. note. <laughs> on that glorious and articulated note, that is our episode for tonight. And uh, I gotta say, we're we're on more of a similar page than what I thought we would be. I thought there would be a lot more uh, variations with the rankings for this episode. Um, so that's neat. <laughs> but uh, that is our show for tonight. If you tuned in late, missed this episode, be sure to tune in tomorrow. The Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts will be on all of that. Next episode, we will finally end this ranking. Part three, we're ranking the three uh, Wolverine solo movies, uh, which of course, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, The Wolverine, and Logan. Uh, so be sure to check that episode out. Be sure to check our social media to find out when that episode will air. Uh, we, you can find us on all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Fat Minute Radio. I'm Don John. You can find me at all those same social medias, at Don John Laughs. And you can find my co-host, Blake, at BVJ. On that note, thank you. Fuck you. Good night. Simon Kenberg, I'm broke. Hire me. Find your next fall adventure in Fairfax County at the National Museum of United States Army. Take a turn on the tank simulator. Feel your seat rumble in their 300-degree theater. Then step outside to enjoy the fall colors from their outdoor dining area and rooftop Medal of Honor garden. Discover your fall adventure at the National Army Museum. Open seven days a week. Free admission and parking right off I-95. Get free tickets at usarmymuseum.org.